everybody. Um, oh, excuse me. I'll try that again. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the <laughs> Scottish Rugby Podcast, brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cami Black. Uh, joining me this evening, um, who you know turns up on time, all present and correct. It's Mr. John Anderson here, ten minutes before, always waiting for me in the the, the green room. Let's call it the green room, John. Before yeah, we come on. green room. Yep. You know, have the snacks. Yes, uh, they were good. They were good. There was pink wafers tonight. It was really tasty. Uh, I had a nice uh, Assam tea, which was lovely. A couple of um, Russian yeah. uh, Twitter sex bots as well. They were there. <laughs> all good times. All good times. <laughs> and then uh, joining us um, li- live, literally seconds <laughs> from devouring what I understand was some some pretty tasty ribs. It's Ian Hay. Hello. Yes, they were tasty. They were a wee bit. Um, bit bony, a bit lacking in meat, but they, they were good, you know. They were um, good. As ribs always are. Are you ribs late because you, you had to spend all that time cleaning up? He's, He's frozen. It's the ribs that have done that. Yeah, it's, it's, is it back now? It's back now, yeah. I think you froze because of the... Yeah. I'm assuming it's got some rib sauce on the camera or something. <laughs> no, I think it's because I've got 800 million tabs open, so if my computer's <laughs> must have slowed down at all. That's uh, fine. Shut well, stuff down. Um, you know, a professional as we are, here we are anyway um, for the podcast. Now, um, as some of you may have noticed, this is part two of our podcast this week. Uh, part one, Ian um, interviewed Dan Leo. Our initial plan was we were going to kind of feature that interview as part of tonight's podcast, but Dan was really kind and generous with his time, and Ian and Dan ended up talking for for almost an hour about some of the issues that come up in the Oceans Apart film. So what we thought we'd do, we put that out as a separate podcast. Go away and listen to that now. Um, if you're watching this live, don't go away now because we would rather you watch this. But do catch up on that. It's a very, very well worth uh, listening to. The, the What we're going to do is we're going to chat about the film in this podcast. And we've all watched it. It's on Amazon Prime. For anyone who hasn't seen it, it's called Oceans Apart. Lots of people talking about it on Facebook and on, on Twitter. Um, so... The we would have normally covered the Fiji game. Obviously, that was cancelled because of coronavirus. Um, although it looks like Fiji might actually get a game this weekend um, or next weekend. I think it would be next week. Net ne- this weekend, win against Georgia and Murrayfield. That that's possibly going ahead. Um, so um, we will do that. We're going to talk about Oceans Apart. We're going to have a little preview of the Ireland match. Although as we record this, it's Wednesday evening and there's no Scotland team being announced. So we'll not get too much into that because. By the time people listen to this, they'll probably have the team out and anything we say will be massively out of date when they select some, you know, Scotland selects some random 15-year-old at fullback who's been cited in the background of pictures um, of, of Scotland <laughs> training, who we think we've identified. More on that later. So if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at Black or at Scott Rugby Blog. You can visit the blog scottishrugbyblog.co.uk and get involved in the comments on the articles. You can watch us on YouTube, Twitch, um, and anywhere, and you can download our podcast uh, from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Acast. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, can I ask you, please, if you've got two minutes, please leave us a review. Um, we haven't had one for a while, so some of those reviews are a little bit out of date. We also, because um, as many of our loyal listeners will know, we we are the you know one of the wokest rugby podcasts. I think not the wokest, probably up there with with one of the wokest podcasts. Unfortunately, that that has attracted some negative comments from people who are. What's the opposite of woke? Would you be? Would you be a slumber? Sleep. Sleep. 
Yeah, people who are not woke, people who are asleep to the issues of the day, and and they've left some rather harsh reviews, unfair reviews. So if you could redress the balance, that would be much appreciated. Um, I'm not in my uniform tonight. John and John and Ian are, are on brand. We we are also, um, as we have been throughout this, we we are brought to you in partnership with Manscaped.com. If you go to manscaped.com and enter the code SRP, you will get 20% off your product and free shipping. Now, manscaped.com, um, for any of you not listening to the podcast, um, you would um, you, you, they, they produce male grooming tools. So you, we, they've sent us a pack. We've got some ball toner. We've got some um, downstairs deodorant. We've got some clippers. Um, a number of you, we understand, have ordered those, so hopefully you're enjoying those uh, in the comfort of your home. Now, this this week, they've sent us something as a little a little treat for how well things are going and, and see us through December. We've got this. It's called... I'm going to get this right. It's called the Weed Whacker. It's a nose hair trimmer. <laughs> They're American, but it's a little nose hair trimmer. Now, I, I, it's the one bit of kit that I would actually use. I've, I, we've established I am not a manscaper, but... It's an it's a nifty little um it's a nifty little nose hair trimmer. So if you're interested in that, it's Christmas is coming. If you've got anybody that you know that you know could could do with a little little trim in the nose or I haven't tried it in the ears. I did find yeah, a long yeah, yeah. hair I did find a long hair in the ear the other day. That was more that was really upsetting. <laughs> so I'm nearly forty. Ah, I've managed to long. avoid your hair so far. Yeah. How? <laughs> no idea. I I Seeing as the you, rest of me is covered in hair. It'll come as no surprise to many of our fans that given that we are two heads of the same uh, gigantor beast, um, we, we, we both share a certain hirsute nature. Um, I thought you, I thought that was a nose to her. He was vaping with the nose hair trimmer. <laughs> Modified yeah. it. There we go. <laughs> it does come with a, a USB um, power cable. It does, which is really handy because normally with, with these kind of things, you're either searching around for batteries, which my old nose hair trimmer used to do. I'd have to try and find the batteries, like nicking them out of the remote control just before I had to go and trim it. Or you're searching for a bathroom plug. Have you ever had a situation where your trimmer, and I'm not going to specify which trimmer, has ran out of batteries mid-trim? And oh yeah, has caught caught a hair and has got stuck on said hair and uh, it's a bit uncomfortable. I haven't had that. I have had it cut out on me kind of mid shave when I've had important meetings to go to and like I've been like <laughs> that ridiculous kind of I've, you know you're doing the pattern and you're having a wee bit of a laugh. I think there's a, a sketch on BBC Scotland where they, they, somebody does this thing and ends up with a wee Hitler moustache and then his his trimmer oh, runs out on his wedding morning. We've all been there. <laughs> You end up having to try and dig around for a blunt bick to try and try and get rid of the, the last oh, single bit in the morning. I know. So yeah, I've been there, done that. But yeah, so manscape.com for the you know Christmas is coming. Um, just a little tip: if you are using it for what they suggest, be very careful because I, John Anderson, myself earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Use. I'd recommend using a guard um, and just watch when you get to the seam, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> they are waterproof. You can use them in the shower. I understand from reading that that makes things, that does make things did, softer. I, I used it. Did you? Yeah. Well, yes. We can, <laughs> you know, we can say that the, the products themselves are high quality. We can't say the same for the users of those products. 
no, no. The the the, the issue with these lie often between the computer screen right now and the chair. Yeah. So that's yeah. Go to manscaped.com, Enter the code SRP, and you'll get twenty percent off any of the products that are on their website, plus free shipping as well. Let's get on and talk about some rugby. Daft Craigie, hello, is on is on Twitch with us. He's suggested that the opposite of woke is simply a racist. Now he then goes on to say. The opposite of walk, not use. So thank you very much for that. Thanks for the I clarification. I saw that pop up, and I thought, "Wow, that's like that's old." I, I point that's very direct. Yeah. Um, so we'll just get into this. We've got Andy. Andy Lohan has said it. Great. Hello, Andy. Regular listener, regular live listener. Andy joins us most Tuesday or Wednesday evenings. There's great piece on Oceans Apart. Really enjoyed listening to it. Um, Ian, you did the interview with Dan. Um, you know, he didn't. He didn't really pull any punches. But I thought what what really came across was kind of how measured he was with everything that he said. And you know, there's a lot of, you know, he you could t- hear the anger, but also it was a very he put his points across very calmly, very measured, and you know he's you know he's not go- they're not going away, are they? Pacific Rugby Welfare and Dan Leo are not going away anytime soon. Uh, no, I think not particularly off the back of of the documentary, um, which is you know seems to be gaining quite a lot of um, popularity slash notoriety. Um, and yeah, like you said, man, um, you know sometimes if you just if you were to maybe just read uh, one of Dan's tweets, it might sound a bit sort of angry and firebrandy, but he, he is very measured, very calm. You know, he had a he had a big thick book of notes with him, um, and he you know he makes these points very concisely and clearly and crisply, and you know. You, you could argue with them, but you'd have to have really strong arguments. Yeah, and and we'll go. We you know we'll go through some of the points tonight. The the re- other interesting thing I think was that you know that his his view and his perception of how things are in the Pacific Islands have have changed over the years as well as he's gone about and his research things. So he was, I think he says in the documentary and he said in the interview with you that you know how he felt in 2011 when effectively he was dropped from Samoa for for effectively questioning the way that things were being run in the Samoa Rugby Union, his views on, on the reasons behind that have changed. I think he, he kind of initially felt it was just all corrupt and you know it was all World Rugby's fault. I think he, the, the view he reaches now is probably a lot more nuanced. Yeah, it was actually 2014 was when was he was um, canned. Um, <clears throat> yeah, although he does say, you know, when he goes to visit the uh, president of Samoa, who is also the chairman of the Samoan Rugby Union, you know, when he leaves there, he does sort of say maybe he's maybe I've fallen for these sort of charisma. Um, uh, but, yeah. yeah, I mean it's hard to know where to start. I mean I've got three. I've got there's three kind of points we can look at. I mean the first thing to look at is probably let's. I've got governance, finance, Sorry. and eligibility. Does that sound three fair points to cover that come up in the documentary? It does, but I'm sorry. I apologise to anyone watching this, but I've got a bit of red meat stuck in my teeth, and it's doing my nut. <laughs> mute, right, I'm going to mute. I will mute Ian. In fact, this is a good chance because I'll, st- I'll stop cam. I'll stop my camera, and I'll um, just do pick away. <laughs> <laughs> we'll. Um, he's off. Anyway, the, the the interesting thing, John, I think, with, with is that last week there was an article went on Rugby Pass. Now, Rugby Pass normally a very reputable um, site. It's really good, excellent writing on there. Um, you've got. Jamie Lyle regularly writing about Scottish rugby on there. Um, really good, interesting articles. There was a what, what I'd probably call a bit of a hack piece, I think, looking at the documentary, which kind of questioned the reasons why people were up in arms about what was being said in it. And there was talk about it being white saviours coming to the rescue of 
your Pacific Islanders and well, you know, if they're going away to, you know, economically better themselves, then that's just capitalism and we should all, you know, we, we should all just let them get on with it. But, you know, the, the reality of, of that is is much different. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think to make that statement is very immature. Um, it doesn't take into account a lot of the... There's many different layers to the... I'm going to mix my metaphors here, but there's there's many different layers to the picture uh, that that is is coming out here, and I think it's interesting. We, uh, it's interesting to hear um, people in privileged positions of being able to freely talk about their sport they love for economic gain, whilst living a very comfortable life in a very comfortable country, criticising people saying, uh, you know, if you choose to come in economically better yourself, that's that's your bag and, you know, suck it up, big boy. It's, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's much typical. It's much more complex than that. And I, I even I, I, I have to say, I hadn't kind of really appreciated the political side of things on the islands i knew particularly with fiji i think more recently i kind of was much more aware of it with with what happened with francis Keane, which we'll, we'll get on to in a minute but i'm going to play a clip from the interview for those of you who haven't seen it and this is the this is dan Le- um ian start opens with a question and it, this is dan leo kind of talking about the solutions he sees to the way that, that rugby's run on the islands obviously you know there's there has been sort of issues internally. So, you know, obviously yourself, um, when you raised the issues about this Samoan um, corruption, uh, Fiji, um, interesting story there, what with Francis Keane and Frank uh, Bayamarama. Um, so how would you sort of advocate world rugby or is there a way that you see world rugby being able to prevent people who aren't fit and proper persons or who don't certainly seem to be fit and proper persons um, interfering in the uh, domestic rugby unions there? Yeah, uh, uh, again, I, I believe um, since making the film and I've had a while to to, to reflect on this, um, there needs to be uh, a law like other most other uh, major sports have got that, that um, disallows people in public office to hold uh, positions of power in a rugby in rugby union um, as well. Um, there's just too much of a conflict there. There's always going to be question marks around their, their motives. Um, for me, um, this, uh, you know, there, there needs to be a, a distance between um, politicians and, and the game of rugby, particularly um, in, in the islands where it's um, seen as a way that uh, you know, um, to, to to win to win votes. You know, you, it's hearts and minds at the end of the day. Um, you know, if you control rugby, you control you control the hearts and minds of the people, and that's why they're so close. You know, there might not necessarily even be any financial gain to be made, but um, you know, it's, it's the way that um, you know our prime minister. People know Samoa for for rugby. Um, it's it's the it's it's what's put us on the map. And he wants to be seen as the uh, as as the guy at the top of it. Um, but yeah, it's I mean it, it's it's got to change. Uh, for me, again, it comes back to the governing body. Um, looking at other sports, you know, um, I know uh, FIFA, for instance, um, you know, don't allow 
they, you know, don't allow politicians to be involved with the, the administration of the game. And if they do, there's financial penalties. You know, they they penalise. You know, they can uh, they can stop them from partaking in, in tournaments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But for that to happen, there needs to be a way um, also for us to be able to to make uh, to make money and become profitable. And the reason, again, we look at the film is the reason, one of the reasons why our unions are so reliant on on the politicians is that we just don't have the um, you know, we don't have enough games to be able to get uh, proper sponsorship. When we do get fixtures against uh, England or Wales or Scotland, for instance, usually we know about three months in advance. Well, sponsorship, you know, a run into to getting decent sponsorship is, you know, probably two, we need, would need to know two years in advance. Um, so there's a, a lot of issues there. Um, and then, um, you know, the, the fact that there's, you know, there's, um, yeah, to put it, to, to put it frankly, that you know that, that we can't, you know, um, and, and one of the, the CEOs of Samoa Rugby said it to me, um, you know, without politics, there's there's no there's no rugby, there's no rugby in the Pacific, um, without the without the politicians uh, funding it, and that needs to change um, equally as much as you know getting rid of of the politicians. In my mind, it's got to be it's got to be two pronged. Um, because you know, uh, and, uh, what, as long as we're reliant on government funding and public funding for for our unions, uh, in the absence of a fair uh, financial share um, elsewhere, um, the, the politicians are always going to um, expect to be involved. I think that was that was the kind of thing that came I came away from the documentary. Uh, for me, is that line that said, "Without you know, without politics in the Pacific Islands, there's no rugby." Ian, I mean that's kind of frightening really and I, and I suppose it's a bit chicken and egg like Dan was saying there is you know what what comes first do you sort out do you sort that out and kind of bar people in political office from controlling rugby or do you need to get give the unions a, a fairer share of you know more access to, to to earning money so that they don't have to rely on, on politicians and it's a it's almost an impossible puzzle to solve really yeah um excuse me um yeah it seems like you know the the way to fix it would be to make sure that there's enough money going back there so that people who are rugby people um are able to go back there and deal with it themselves but you know like dan said it's a, pop, a bit of a popularity contest which is why the president uh, prime minister i can't remember if it's prime minister president of samoa prime minister uh, president i think yeah samoa president he's also president there yeah and I'm never going to try and pronounce it because it's very, very difficult. I don't even think Dan, the notion apart, Dan doesn't even try and pronounce it. Um, so, there, you know, it is a sort of catch-22 situation. Um, but that's why, you know, that's why he's, you know, he always says, um, this is why we need to get people, the right people around the team about it. If, you know, you think if there was a way that they could cooperate, cooperatively work with those politicians who are involved, that would be the best solution for everyone. Um, now, one of the things that would concern me is, you know, if, like you've been saying there, you know, if um, FIFA have rules and uh, Fiji were banned from the Commonwealth Games Sevens um, because of political interference, you know, and that that less than despicable by not having Fiji because Fiji are probably the best seven side in the world, or certainly the most fun to watch. So it is a very nuanced situation, but you know, 
with extra money, maybe the politicians wouldn't be so tempted to steal the money in the first place. Um, so you have this kind of... It, it needs to be funded more appropriately and it needs there needs to be people who are you know, rugby people who are above board and who will be able to sort of placate the politicians be like, look, I'm on your side. I can play both sides here sort of thing, um, which is going to be very difficult, clearly, but, you know. Yeah. Because um, I suppose, John, the, 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 the impossible task for world rugby, and we'll, we'll come on to world rugby and whether they actually exist in any meaningful way in a minute anyway, but the, the problem for them is they, they could say, you know, there, there shouldn't be anybody in a political position who's, who's in control of rugby union in a country. And then, as I think you know, Dan says in in the documentary, it's jobs for the boys. So you 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 remove you say to the president, you can't be the CEO, but all you know, all it would take is for his brother to then be in charge of rugby. Yeah. So then it becomes this impossible thing. Other than as 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 Ian says, you bring people back to the country to who are rugby people who can can run it and have got the experience, but then you've got. In the documentaries, Nateni Talai, who played for Edinburgh, saying, "You know, Frank Bahamina can make you disappear, and he and he he will not go back to Fiji." And Dan, Leo, you see how how scared Dan Leo is of going into the you know the, the the prime minister's office in Samoa as well because of what you know the prime minister called him, you know, I'd called him mentally deranged at a press yeah. conference in the past. So this is not, <laughs> you know, these are not kind of people that will quietly just kind of pass on the power of, to, of rugby because they need it so much. No, and that and that's the thing. You you have a situation where, as you're out to say, you know, you've got got that jobs for the boys piece, and it's interesting because I think what struck me most about it was, you know, you talk about, and I know we'll come on to talk about world rugby, but you talk about the the role of almost the independent within this kind of uh, debate and having sort of external almost external adjudication of of what the the situation is Uh, and it's not possible without you know without the almost the the stick of sanctions and nobody wants to see these countries being sanctioned because of nobody nobody wants to see any any sanction on any country in any sport for the mismanagement of the game you know if it's if it if there's going to be sanctions that has generally will be around maybe drug use or things like that nobody wants to see because a politician is badly running a rugby union that is absolutely critical to the well-being of a lot of people in that area nobody wants to see them removed from international competition but ultimately that's probably what would have to happen if a governing body of some some uh, design was to step in and and say do you know what we have to this is our rules now and we have to enforce this so it's it's just really difficult and really complicated yeah and what came across i think when you know again dan leo in the documentary where he's speaking to um a member of the samoa rugby union who kind of calls him at this game yeah. is she's saying there's there's so many conditions attached to the funding that they get from world rugby but it doesn't seem like they're necessarily there to to prevent political interference it's almost there to prevent the pacific islands from growing it's all that you know there's so many kind of conditions placed on their funding that actually it stunts what they're able to do they're not able to to kind of go as freely as they would and and that, that 
from what she was saying, Ian, that's not all, you know, to, to prevent political interference. A lot of it's just them, them holding the purse strings. Um, yes, uh, but, I mean, that's, well, with regards to financing, I think the main issue is the players not getting their just yeah. desserts. Um, but, you know, I mean, what rugby... If they are, you know, we talked there about um, them not, you know, they, they don't seem to get, they don't interfere. You know, they just sort of go, oh, well, we can't do anything about it. Yeah. But then when it comes to giving the money out, they're like, nah, you need to do this, this, this. Um, so they they want it both ways, but both ways beneficial to them, sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, this is the, the Martin Bell makes an interesting point. He says, ultimately, there isn't, I've hidden Ian behind this comment. Hey. So you can pick, pick your teeth in, we can't see you. Ultimately, there just isn't the money in the island economy, so it has to come from outside somehow. World Rugby gives grants, which must indeed give them too much control. But funding from a fair share of overseas test matches and TV rights has to come to the core of that. Is that so unrealistic to expect of Tier 1 nations? I think the short answer to that is no. I mean, in the documentary, they talk about, and all, all Dan Leo is asking for is an 80-20 split. I think it's in it's... your interview as well. He says that, and that's not... You know, any tier one nation is going to be able to afford to give an eighty twenty split. The question, I think, what what you would need to do, and if World Rugby had any teeth, which it seems it doesn't have any teeth at all, except when it comes out hand and funding to tier two nations, it would ring fence some of that money and give it direct to the players. That's kind of you know, kind of Dan Leo talks in the documentary. But you know, when he was playing for Samoa, they got to seventh in the world. They got to. I mean, the world, we we were utter pish at the time. Let's let's face it. But so that's, <laughs> that plays that plays partly into it. But you know they were they were a formidable side at the time. I think they turned us over. So his view was that that they they were unable to continue that run because of the mismanagement of the Samoa Rugby Union. Because you know all of a sudden the experienced players who were coming back from playing in Tier One Nations and you know, bringing through the younger players weren't, weren't able to do that anymore. And so, if, you know, and if you're if you're worrying where your kit is, where your boots are, whether you're getting paid for your match fee, uh, then you're not focused on playing rugby. So when things are going well, things are and and there's a bit of that. I mean, I've read the Ben Ryan book Seven's Heaven, where he talks about when he you know taking Fiji to you know the the, the Olympic Championship, you know, like Olympic gold gold medalists, and in that he does a lot of what he's doing is preventing political interference and kind of keeping that away from the players and that's part, a large part of the reason why they were so successful the moment you know you've got guys you know in the dressing room who've got nothing to do with the coach and then 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 it must be a massive distraction but you'll come back to the point martin makes it's not you know that at the end of the documentary i think john it says that they wrote pacific rugby welfare have written to all the unions and they've all come back and said this is something we think we can do but they haven't heard anything else since yeah and it's been over a year now since uh, since the last correspondence with regards to it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's unfortunate that this, you know, this has all kind of come to light just now when most of the unions are broke. Um, and, you know, the opportunity for... The opportunity to fix this was five years ago. The opportunity to fix this was 10 years ago. Um, and get the proper mechanisms in place. But if you think now that the RFU, even the SRU, are going to agree to give away 20% of a much-needed gate now, um, 
whilst I don't agree, I, I think they absolutely should be and the players should be remunerated because they're part of the spectacle. There's this idea of you can't have a game with, with only one team, you know, so the other team should be rewarded for being there. But the reality of the current situation is they're, they're probably not going to do it. And it's it's up to guys like Dan, guy, you know, guys like Ben Ryan, guy, us, us deliriously woke folks here. It's, it's up for all of us to maybe just put a wee bit of pressure on, you know, comments, make, make, make your voice heard out there because ultimately nobody's going to do anything that... Unless, unless there's enough fans behind it, ultimately it's it's our money that funds these these organisations. So, you know, we need to do something. Yeah, and I think I mean I, I think there's an opportunity in Scotland. And one of the interesting things from Ian's interview again, where Dan says that you know Scotland do most more than most other tier one nations in terms of supporting, particularly the Pacific Islands and giving them games and going over there and and even I think the the attention paid to the welfare of the Pacific Island players who come to Scotland and how well you know and that the, they are looked after and you know the, the pastoral care that's put in there not just the you know the looking after their fitness and their well being but that there is that element of making sure that they're settled and you know that they're happy but there is I think uh, you know uh, there is more that that the SRU and other unions can do to share the money around and maybe this is you know look at it as an opportunity coronavirus it's a chance to have a realignment of funds so rather than grabbing the money and saying we need to grab all the money we can do say well, we're starting with a blank slate here let's start from the point of we're budgeting to only receive 80 percent of our gates when we're playing a you know we're playing against another country well <clears throat> excuse me again uh yeah one thing like you've seen that um world rugby have a covid relief fund now, if they have money squirreled away to help support tier one nations, uh, you know, at unprecedented times, hashtag unprecedented times, uh, <laughs> how come, you know, I imagine that the amount that Pacific Island nations would need to or would request would be significantly less. Mm. Um, so why has that not trickled down or why can't when, um, you know, Samoa, I mean, we saw that uh, Cooper Vuna, the Bath player, when he was playing for Tonga uh, for a four-match series, uh, he received £300. Now, why can't World Rugby top that up? Or, you know, with James Haskell's on it, um, talking at like 500 miles an hour. Uh, <laughs> you he, can see uh, how says, nervous how nervous was he on that documentary. Yeah. Either that or how um, caffeinated was he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it could be something else, but I'm not going to make that joke again. Oh. Um, <laughs> that got in trouble last time. Um yeah, so why, why can't there be this rebalance? Because uh, Haskell says, you know, they have this, these meetings and they go, yeah, yeah, we should do that. But then, you know, they just forget about it. It's just, you, it's, it's everything just seems to be lip service going, yeah, that's yeah. a good idea, we should, but you don't. There's so, nothing to encourage them to do it. That's the thing. There's no, like, other than hashtag rugby values, which we know is utter tripe, there's nothing to encourage them to do it. There's no fundamental reason because, like, let's take Scotland, for example, right? If Scotland were not to play Samoa, Tonga or Fiji, the vast majority, I, I'm going to say it, the vast majority of BT Murrayfield wouldn't mind. They would prefer playing New Zealand, they would prefer playing South Africa, Argentina, Australia. If we played them every autumn, nobody would mind. Nobody would bat an eyelid. And, that, and that's the same for all of the, the bigger countries. You know, the, we want to see these superstars. Um, when actually, 
we've all been to see games against Fiji, games against Samoa, Tonga. They're great days out and you see some amazing rugby, but ultimately most of the crowd are there to see the All Blacks, are there to see the world champions South Africa. So there's no incentive yeah, I mean Martin makes a point. Martin makes a point in here again, saying, you know, would supporters be prepared to pay an additional tenner to a seat to host Samoa at BT Murrayfield? That would generate an extra six hundred seventy k without impacting SRU cash take. It's it's an option. I think my view would be they need to give a fair percentage. I think it needs to be agreed, and and this is the problem: you can't get agreement because world rugby is a. I think as Charles Pietel describes him as a ghost. So I've never yep. seen anyone from World Rugby. They're a ghost. And and when you watch the documentary, you realise World Rugby is essentially uh, it's it's the equivalent of one of those meeting places you hire by the hour when you haven't <laughs> got a, when you haven't got a base. Do you know what I mean? That that's what it is. It's, it's it's just it's somewhere for all the unions to get together and try and come to an agreement about what they're going to do. It's it's got no teeth at all and no enforcement. It can't. The only way they can enforce against, particularly the tier. One nations with the two who've got the two votes, um, or three—is it three votes they get? Three votes. Three, three votes for any decisions that are made, which altogether they have over fifty percent of the votes compared to the other nations. You know, the, the only reason that you know that's just an excuse for them to get together and vote, and you know it's that you know Turkey's voting for Christmas all the time. No, Brett Gosper and anybody else at World Rugby can't make them do anything. Brett Gosper in that documentary says, "You know, we I can I can have this conversation with people. I can tell them to think about the long game, but they won't. You know, they're not going to think about how for the good it would be good to grow the Pacific Islands and to have, you know, make them better, more, make rugby more competitive in the top twenty. But they, everybody's about self-preservation, and I've been, you know, I've felt like that way in the past. I've been worried about emerging nations coming through and knocking Scotland off the perch. We've all been there. Do you know what I mean? It's not." It's a concern everybody has, but if you want rugby as a sport to survive, at some point, you know, the, 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 they've got to change their approach. They've got to start. If they like, you know, hashtag rugby values. If you value rugby and respect and things, you're gonna. It's no good having players there on three hundred pounds for an entire two eighty quid a game, playing against players who are getting twenty two grand a game. You know, that's sort of nonsense. To, having to busk outside restaurants to pay their meal. Yeah, it's absolutely and. I mean, it's it's so it's dehumanising and it's it's criminal. Yeah, it's you know it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean that that's the, the I think that's one of the solutions that probably seems the most sensible that that there is something written down in that you have that that a percentage of the gate has to go to your opponent because I mean we pay the All Blacks to come and play us. I think the other 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 nation doesn't have with other nation. We pay the All Blacks. I mean, was it Tong? Was it Tonga or Samoa lost a million? Samoa. Samoa lost a million yeah. dollars playing the yeah, All Blacks at Samoa. That's ludicrous. Yeah, and you'd think, you know, especially given some of the finger pointing that's come from New Zealand and the fact that they're the neighbours and they have to, you know, I'm not saying this. You know, some people get overboard and say, "Oh, they're stealing all these Pacific Islands." Well, they're not stealing them. Um, but you know they should respect the fact that they are um, profiting from them, yeah, and should reciprocate that. Um, and also, I mean, the thing with World Rugby as well, like you said, you know, when they all meet up for a jolly, I bet it's not somewhere cheap, is it? You know, <laughs> they're all staying in nice fancy hotels, and even you know, we talk about we can 
talk about the corruption in the, in the internal unions, Bernard Laporte, who is one of the main sort of decision makers of Moore Rugby, was he he's vice, up on corruption he, charges. Vice, vice president? Vice president, yep. yep. And he's up on corruption charges yeah. in France. Um, you know, and there's, there's yeah. just a lot of corruption in sport. We saw the, the absolute shambles that was FIFA when Seth Blatter was there, you know, which... Which one of them? Which one of those pigs didn't have their snout in the trough? I think this is the problem, and then that's the the current system of the way that the voting works in world rugby. You know, I'm not. I'm very very clear. I'm not saying it's corrupt, but it's open to corruption. I mean, you only have to look at what happened with the last election, where you had Francis Keane, who's uh, been convicted for manslaughter. There's, there are Amnesty International reports about him individually no you don't often get amnesty and national reports about an individual person joe to me is not about countries but he's named in the report against fiji i think there's probably an amnesty international report just on what francis Keane has done in prisons in fiji and the way that he's run the army and then for the french you know the french rugby union essentially to nominate him to be a member of the world rugby council and then for bernard laporte and bill beaumont to turn around when the Pacific Rugby Welfare turn around and say, look, this guy's not a fit and proper person. For them to turn around and say, we didn't know anything about it. You Google Francis Keane. Amnesty, you know, Amnesty International comes up as one of the top results. The fact he's been done for manslaughter comes up as one of the top results on Google. It's not hard. It would take two minutes for somebody in your... If, I don't even know if they have an ethics department. The fact that him and his brother were part of a military coup to take over the country... You know, are, do you not pay attention to things that's going around you? Of course, but a military what, forgetting, guys? Uh, what a military coup? Is, a military coup is something different in Scotland. It's a cow <laughs> in combat. Anyway, go ahead, John. I was just going to say you're forgetting that the key point here. You know, you, you, you're given lots, lots of evidence, lots of things to say. Francis not such a good guy, but I'm sure he is in control of those academies that those French people want to to be getting players from so it's it, it's you know you've got to take take both sides uh, maybe maybe Frank no I mean it's, and, and it's this is absolute this is why it's open to corruption because you know you vote from you vote for my guy in the election you throw my you and and there was no I, I, you know from from the outside looking in Fiji had no reason to vote for Bill Bowman and Bernard Laporte and every reason <laughs> to vote for you know, as much as I disagree with him, every reason to vote for Gus Pichot because of the yeah. changes that he wanted to make were probably more beneficial to Fiji. But they vote for the, you know, the, the incumbents. And the, on paper, they've no reason to do that other than someone is you know, offering funding or saying, that's a nice funding arrangement you've got there. It would be a shame if something happened to it. <laughs> Why don't you vote for my guy and I'll get your guy on the World Council? I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying it's open to that sort of corruption and it's not corruption in that there's a necessarily a personal although there is personal benefits for some people it's just corruption in that you, you there's there are benefits for your union it's poli- i mean it's politics as well but it's still it's not you know it's not what the support the sport purports to be it's it's interesting when you think about so quite often um one of the areas of interest i have is kind of looking at uh competition within like sporting areas and overall levels of competition and it's really interesting when so one of the one of the writers on this talks a lot about kind of individual leagues and individual kind of collectives being a cartel of uh, essentially a cartel of uh, individual clubs who are working to a common benefit 
in that it's about revenue maximization for everyone in the league and actually you have to work together as a collective to do that it's the old adage of you know you see it with the the, the blue and the green mob up here that without other teams to play they don't have a league so they can't make money um and it's it's really interesting that rugby seems to really and i think one of the things that's touched on in the documentary rugby really does have still such a them and us approach in that it's tier one and you know six nations rugby championship maybe japan now perhaps you know I, I don't, yeah perhaps i think that i think the interesting thing when, when brett gosper says i can't tell you what a tier two nation is there's no definition for it i think the i think it comes down to for me it comes to voting rights if you've got three yeah. votes that you're tier one anybody else is tier two you know yeah. I, I appreciate Jan, japan have maybe got some financial influence well that well that said that's that that's their their way of getting round the the limitations of that is that they have the financial incentives, you know, they're very close with New Zealand, they make sure their players are well looked after. So again, there's more politics at play. Uh, and one of the things we, we talk a lot about when you're talking about making these leagues or collectives more competitive is that the first thing you have to start with is equal distribution. So that is voting rights and revenue. There has to be a more equal distribution of these across the piece. So the easiest thing to do is one team, one vote. It's really simple. Now, there's no way the Six Nations guys are going to vote for that. It's interesting that they won't, though, because you've got, they've already got the legacy benefits. They've got their tournament that makes their millions every year. They don't have to worry about that. So what is there to be afraid of other than being usurped every autumn and maybe in the World Cup? Yeah, it's silly. Yeah, I think the other thing. I mean, you know, we'll come back to the finance things as well. What Danley was talking in is is about the, you know, the fact that they don't get notice of when they're being when they're going to get a game. They get no games at all, pretty much during the year. They've got their own Pacific Championship that they do. There's the repechage for qualifying for the World Cup. Occasionally, someone might, you know, drop in on the way over on the summer, in as part of the summer tours. The autumn, they probably get a few. They, they might get a couple of games against the big boys between them, but not much. And and that, like, I, the big impact on that is obviously that, that they can't attract sponsorship. I mean, you see this. You know, Scotland have announced their autumn test for twenty twenty one. We've got, we've got All Blacks and yes, Australia, and South Africa. Australia, South Africa. You know, and and TBC. Now we know that TBC is either Georgia or Pacific Island, or a Canada or a USA. Why it can't be? announced now so that they have time one to fund they need to fundraise from their communities and also they why they can't announce it now to get sponsors is seems to me utterly mad so the system needs i think the system needs to change that the globe we've, we've talked about the global calendar before and even if you're not going to get a combined calendar of this mad competition they suggested of the international what was it called the international <laughs> nations championship the nations league the nations league or league of nations which sounds league like something nations. that Sounds like something that Lex Luthor was in charge of. Um, <laughs> you know, even not something like that, but there's no reason you can't set a calendar at the start of, for a whole World Cup cycle, say. Yep. And then everyone would have certainty about who they were playing. You could have fair, even distribution of the tours. And I think there, were talk, there was talk that that's what they were doing, but it seems mad that we can't know that, some, that, that that's only agreed amongst the big boys. You know that everyone would get a turn at New Zealand, and everyone would do this. The, the other, the, the other people. Reciprocal agreements. The reciprocal agreements, yes. 
yeah. Which only which which only exist amongst the tier one nations and don't exist between the you know the other nations. But it seems mad we can't do some sort of draw. The interesting analogy I think Dan Leo draws is you know the draw where you know the the, the FA Cup where you get a minnow you know up against Man United and they end up playing away at Man United to get a section of the gate and that's probably funds them for five years. I've been doing it in football for how many years and yet we still have this completely you know it would be fine if it was equal it would be fine if you know if teams were to go over to the islands and we're playing at a you know 67,000 all-seater stadium paying 100 quid a ticket and the union was benefiting from that but it's just not the case so there has to be a, a realistic solution to that and Revenue share is the realistic solution. You agree with that, Ian? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, you know, that's socialism, but uh, that <laughs> but we're already woke, so we must be socialists as well. <laughs> um, but I don't see. I don't see why, for example, in order to, I mean, we've seen how Argentina have made leaps and bounds since they've been invited to the rugby championship. Yeah. Why can't they extend it? You know, maybe knock off a Bledsoe Cup game because they usually have three of them and invite Fiji, Tonga, and Samoa. And so it's like, a, you know, we've got the Six Nations, they could have seven teams playing. Um, and it's, is, is, that, is that so hard to manage? I mean, would, the, the main, I think one of the biggest problems now would be ensuring that certain clubs, <coughs> French, um, would release players. Um, uh, but, you know, if World Rugby insist upon it, which they probably wouldn't, because they, they wouldn't want to upset the Tier 1 nations, um, you would get a more competitive product because that's one of the things he says, you know, in, in our chat is that if you go into a World Cup with, you know, with more, you know, there's more than four teams with a, a realistic chance of actually winning the damn thing, it's, you know, improved competition. And if it's an improved product, because we know how exciting Fiji and Samoa and Tonga can be, you'll attract more people because, and I, I know this might put someone's hands in the rock about how rugby can seem dull right now, um, but to to the sort of the the guy on the street, you know, if you just dragged him and go, "Oh, mate, you want to come and watch this rugby game?" They wouldn't understand it and they would get a bit bored by it. Um, but if you have it more competitive, then it's, it, even just the drama of sport yeah. is would be enough. Look at the amount of people talking about the the the, the rugby code that shall not be named. And the end to the final uh, the, the other week there, and how dramatic that was. Um, the people who have no interest in rugby were mentioning it it's because, because it was, it was because of social media now, right? You can get these yeah. little you get these little clips. No one's gonna no one's gonna you know retweet a clip of a scrum collapsing five consecutive times. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you need exciting. You need exciting rugby. To gif it and yep. meme it and do your little clips. Um, well, that's you, yeah. Bef- you broke for a second. I did break it. for a second, but it's fine because I'm recording my end, and so it, it's fine. Um, Dougie, look, before we move on, I'm going to move on to players in a minute because we're, we're, I thought, oh, we'll have a fi- half an hour chat about it, but we're on for 50 minutes already. <laughs> Dougie Lowe says, wouldn't it be great to see the likes of Fiji Samoa Tonga coming over for an old-fashioned tour like we used to see playing Edinburgh, Glasgow, the South and North Midlands would be nice too, but that's a different matter. And finishing off playing Scotland, hopefully plenty of income for their two, them too. I think I think the difficulty with that is that the calendar now is so packed for yeah. pro teams that it's a, it's, a, it's a lovely it's a lovely idea I, I think the romantic in me would love to see it 
I mean, I'd love to, God, you know, you'd love to see a, I wish it was still the case that, you know, all blacks could come play the south of Scotland. I mean, it's, God, it's yeah. absolutely hooked these days, but, you know, that you kind of look, <laughs> hark back to those days and that'd be a nice thing to see, a nice thing to do. But I think the calendar's so packed these days and the drop off, I think the drop off, the other thing is with the drop off in, um, in, in talent, I mean, you could probably squeeze a game against a Super 6 select, but, you know, Samora going to run absolute rings around any, you know, a Super 6 select coming over. So I'd, I think romantically I'd love to see it, but practically I don't think it's a gore, Ian. Yeah, well, in, in the days of amateurism, that would be fine. But, you know, the, the professionals now, they are so super trained and, you know, so much better. Um that yeah, it would be a, a, a absolute mullering. Um and like you said as well, the, the fixtures congestion. That one of the issues with well not an issue but one of the consequences of professionalism is of course we know that players are getting hit harder and therefore that you know means that they can't play as many games. Um so it's, it's a lovely suggestion but probably yeah. unfeasible unless there was some kind of change to the club calendar and then the clubs are going to raise their arms about that <laughs> because then that's going to damage their income and yeah. it's like oh but that player is our property they are our asset uh no we don't we, they may get injured I, I, you can't yeah. have and, and i think the other the other kind of thing that that you have and the other issue that's raised in the documentary is around pacific island players and what happens to them when they leave the pacific islands that Yes, there are international windows where clubs are required to release players, but there are also, you know, players being taken from academies in Tonga and Samoa and, and, and Fiji to Japan and New Zealand and Australia and, and having clauses put in their contract to say you will not play international rugby. Do you know, yeah. and from, a, from a young age as well, apparently, you know, there was, I think, you know, some of the lads going over to academies in Japan and stuff, they're, they're signing contracts to say you will not play international rugby. And that's, you know, that, that. You know, come back to rugby values. It's not exactly in keeping, is it, John? No, it's it's not. And you know, again, it's 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 just dirty. It's dirty business, isn't it? And um, as you rightly say, you know, it's kids. It's young kids, and I, I don't I don't understand where. I mean, it is. It's exploitation um, of the absolute definition of ex- child exploitation, uh, which is very very illegal in a lot of countries um but it's yeah it's 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 a really bad one yeah i mean somebody somebody challenged me on twitter last week saying look what what's the difference between the way that a pacific island kid is treated compared to say jordan venter who's coming across to ember and like i mean i i, I didn't really respond because i don't really see the point because i have the person that was tweeting at me had a, had an i could you could see the agenda that they had but i you know you, you give it some thought and you watch the documentary you think well you know jordan venter isn't sending money home to you know a large fam to keep it you know to to to, to a large family i mean it's was 30 percent of gdp in the pacific islands is estimated to come from rugby players sending money back you know, so so Jordan Venter isn't sending money back to keep his family in, you know, fed and clothed back home. Jordan Venter, if Jordan Venter has a medical problem, has a you know his kidneys failing him, he's not going to be stuck in Romania. I mean, with, with no help, you know, living out of living off the benefits of of churches like the you know the top former Tongan international that's in that documentary. You know, Jordan Venter, if he hits any problem at all will have somebody on the end of the phone he can call and that's not available to Pacific Island players who 
you know, quite rightly will go and chase the economic benefits that are open to them across the world. And you know, the, the, the you know the, we're talking about Spain, we're talking about Romania, we're talking about these nations that are trying to bring the standards up in their leagues. And the quick way to do that is you get in players who can hit the ground running. And where do you go to get a player like that? You you know you don't go to you don't go to the Super Six in Scotland. You don't go to the English Championship because you go to the Pacific Islands because you can you know you'll get somebody that can come in and play. Yeah. Oh, I mean, for example, like that example you made there. You know, um, Super Six players on twelve and a half grand a year. Sione Tramafunga, who's the uh, Tongan, um, who you know he played against Scotland, I think, in the two thousand and eleven World Cup. Hmm. Um, he was on eight thousand pounds a year in Romania. That's crazy. I mean, you think what a for, you know a former rugby international in a tier one nation, even a one cap former rugby international will be dining out on that for decades. After yep. dinner speaking, do you know people will sort them out with a job because it's because of who they are. It's not it's a high paid job, but they'll always someone will always have their back as a former international. But you go no, below no. tier one, and you know, no, unless you're one of the big, you know, the really big headline players, those opportunities just aren't there for you. They'll, they'll make more than eight grand doing the cameo appearances. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, and I think this, it, it's just it's depressing, very depressing, and I wonder how much of a chance that players, you know, I think someone like Jordan Venter or someone from a tier one nation i think this is a bit of you know where kind of a, a, a kind of it's not deliberate racism but it's kind of the microaggressions come in I, th- I don't think that pacific island players are given the same chances to adapt in other countries to the way that the game's played or the same investment in training that uh you know a white south african youngster would be given because i think they're they're expected or oh, you're from fiji you're from tonga you're from samoa you you should be able to come in you should be able to dance around five lads and offload like crazy i don't think they're given the same opportunity to fail that a you know a white south african lad would be given coming to a different country yeah there's also the there is an element of the cultural expectations being there's negative traits that are expected as well and when um, any incident happens, it's often blamed on the fact they're from the Pacific Islands as opposed to the player themselves or, you know, the situation they find themselves in. You know, you even see it with amount of Glasgow fans who've seen shouting and bawling about Nakarawa not having played this season. And people are pointing out that, yeah, he was back in Fiji and there was an actual personal matter that he was back in Fiji for. So, you know, um, if that had been a white South African player, well, you know. Yakko well, nobody cares. Really Jakob, he's gone off and gone, gone back for his wedding, right? Yep. Come back and self-isolated. Everyone said, oh, that's nice for he's gone for his wedding. You yep. know, Leone Nakarawa's had to stay out in Fiji for longer because I understand I think his wife was pregnant and then there's been some yep. other family matters and he's building a house for his family. And you watch the documentary and you understand then that what building a house means is not kind of... I'm a rich rugby player, mum. Here's some money for a, to pay pay off your mortgage. It's literally physically building them a house. <laughs> that you know, but everyone's like, oh well, he's lazy. He's not coming back. It's not the same. It's not. It, it's you know, the situations just aren't comparable. And they're not like you said, John. They're not given. Fans don't give the same leeway to these players as they give to, you know, Jakob van der Voort. Have a nice wedding. You know, see you see you again in two weeks. Leon, I, 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 
if Jason Yako had been weight back, getting hammered. <laughs> aye, exactly. If Yako had been weight back, right? It's complications in, in South Africa or whatever, and he'd been late back, and we Duncan Weir had got injured in training, and we were down to and Pete Horn got a call up at ten, right, just to give you in the rage. Nobody would have batted an eyelid. Nobody would have said, you know what, that's that's really selfish of Yako that he's doing that, and I can't believe he's he's cost he's cost Scotland, he's cost our country this and that. If it had been in the same situation, people have said that about Pacific Island players. They've said how selfish it is that they're staying back in Fiji. That guy would get fired by racing yeah. for it, you know. Yeah. Yes, and I think you know, we'll, we'll, the the it's frustrating. I think that, and I don't understand why. What you know, the Pacific Rugby Welfare aren't recognised by World Rugby as a union because World Rugby don't fund them, uh, yeah, despite the fact sure. it was them that brought up the fact that Francis Keane was not a fit and proper person. And World Rugby's response was, we don't recognise you, but very quietly we're going to drop him and suggest to Fiji very quietly that he's kind of shuffled shuffled out of the... All of a sudden he's shuffled out of the Fiji Union, is he? That's got nothing to do with the you know the report put together by Pacific Rugby Welfare. I mean, to, I think, obviously, they'd much rather be on the inside, you know, having people listen to what they've got to say. I think it's... In a way, I think the message is much stronger at the minute because they are on the outside and, and people are listening to them more and saying and, and kind of questioning world rugby alongside them, which is good. The the last kind of point I want to touch on, the eligibility. I, mean, I know you and I did a podcast on this, Ian, uh, for Patreons. You know, we sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com slash Scottish Rugby Podcast. You can listen to that, Ian, Ian and I talking about that at length. The the, the first thing is the the impact that the five year rule has had unintentionally, and I think that this was a Gus Pichot thing. I think it's particularly to address a, an Argentinian problem that the Argentinian players, you know, they don't pick on residency, and so they, I think it was trying to restrict other unions who maybe have more immigration, just natural immigration to the country anywhere, as a way to kind of like restrict their ability to do it. But you know, I think the interview Dan Leo was kind of t- talking to you about the fact that that what that's caused is that big unions like New Zealand, like Australia, going and getting players younger. Yeah, because in the documentary, the rugby, um, Honga Academy rugby, uh, it's a 13-year-old that's uh, New Zealand, a team in New Zealand, or, or I don't know if it was the union itself or a, a single team that were scouting. And, um, you know, Rupeni Kauko, there's teams already sniffing after his son, and he's 11. That's right, 11. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, um, I mean, it's not like the case where, you know, Lionel Messi, when he went to Barcelona at the age of 12, right, Argentina, he's from a sort of fairly, sort of, not impoverished, probably, you know, a lot better off than the Pacific Islands are. Um, but, you know, Barcelona were like, this is a special talent. This is ridiculously good talent. We will look after him. The contract was signed on a napkin. Um, so it's a slightly different kettle of fish to yeah. going over and saying, well, here's an 11-year-old child. Well, we can just give them, you know, a wee bit of money here, take them over, turn them into a player, and uh, then, you know, use them for our own good. Yeah. Scotland are not innocent, though. We're not innocent in this either. You know, the fact is, we are. You know, you've mentioned Jordan Venter. He's not coming over to Scotland as a, you know, as a young boy, um, because we think he's a future South African international, and we're just giving him a contract for a couple of years let's be honest no and i think there is an element of that i mean the the uh, i mean jordan venter i think is, is scott's qualified through his grandfather but you know we are bringing him across because he is is that not no, true it's, 
it's the boy that Glasgow have signed. He's Connor De Bruyne. Yeah. yeah, you're right. But you know, and that's that's understandable. But I think the reason that South Africa, young South African players, are leaving South Africa is because there aren't the opportunities in South Africa because South Africa is so well stocked and well funded for its rugby that actually, you know, you can go and kind of try your luck elsewhere. That's not the reason why Pacific Island, young Pacific Island players are leaving the Pacific Islands. Joe, John Venter probably could. I, you know, it's, it's, I do want to be a, it's the big fish, small pond thing, isn't it? Go and try yourself, go and try yourself in a smaller pool and see how you get on. So that's the, you know, that's the reason why it's not kind of, because you need you, know, your family needs money, and someone's offering you a lot of money as an eleven-year-old to go and you know go and train, and, and maybe take a gamble on you that one day you'll be an international. So I think, I mean, I, for me, I think there's probably an argument to go back to the three-year rule. I, I don't necessarily think that the five-year rule. I don't think it makes a difference those two years, if I'm perfectly honest at all. The other thing is is this idea of dropping back and players returning. It's like the kind of re- returning rule that you can play for New Zealand. And then, you know, when New Zealand are done with you, a bit like Charles Pietau, to go, you can go back and play for, you know, that your mum's your nation, your grandfather's nation. And I think that's, you know, the point they make in the documentary is you, you can, that experience then is is invaluable to improving the fortunes of those countries. And, and who wouldn't want to see some of those players extend their careers, right? You know, who wouldn't want to see someone have another crack at a World Cup at the age of 30? Five, when you know, New Zealand or New Zealand are done or Australia are done with them, it makes it makes sense. I hadn't realised actually it was it was only two. Everyone talks about the history of eligibility and rug, you know the you know keeping rugby meaningful. I mean, God, you, I think the qualif- you qualified for Scotland back in the eighteen hundreds if you'd been on holiday there or, or at public school there. <laughs> you know, they only changed this I, the, this rule about representing a second union in two thousand and one. So yeah. we're not talking the deep dark annals of history, are we? No, not at all. You've got like the likes of Jamie Salmon, uh, represented both New Zealand and England, yeah. Um, and, and up to and including the the nineties, um, Frank Bunce as well. He, Frank Bunce, Frank Bunce, New Zealand. Samoa is his first, and this is the it works both ways. You know, you, you can for for op- to provide opportunities for players. You could be a young player playing for Samoa, get a Super Rugby contract. And if you're eligible, not through you know whether it's through residence, whether it's through a, a parent, to then go and play for New Zealand. The well, final... the rule that they want to bring in though is that it would only be tier one down uh, to tier, tier two. One down. I yeah. disagree. I yeah. think it has to be much more. I was thinking about this today. I think you could go more radical because I think it probably has application. I think I think you know in the documentary, and we've said this before that, that it's this thing we we don't live in a society now where people stay in one place or. You know, their parents and their grandparents are from the same town and have never, nobody's ever moved. People move all around the world. People's grandparents have immigrated and emigrated and whatever. I think you could decide at the start of a world rugby, a World Cup cycle. Say, this is who I'm, this is who I'm going to play for for this World Cup cycle. And if you want to change during a World Cup cycle, you've got to go 12 months without playing for a country. So, say, for example, New Zealand, you get dropped by New Zealand after two years. And they're not interested in you anymore, but you could go and do a job for Fiji. That you could say, okay, I'm giving you notice, World Rugby, that I'm having twelve my 12-month grace period where I'm not going to play for anybody and then I'm going to switch my allegiance. I'll give you 12 months notice of me doing that. 
And you could do, you know, you could do that in in Great Britain, and it, it's a choice then for the unions and for the individuals as to whether they want to do that, and not, you know, unions don't have to do it just because they've got it. But you could have that within England, Scotland, and Wales. There's plenty of players that, you know, might want to come and play for Scotland that might get better, and suddenly England might come sniffing around. There's no, I would, you know, it's just we've got, you know, Ali Price is from Norfolk, isn't he? You know, it's, yes, get plenty um, of. Sorry, um, Johnny Williams, for example, who scored against England uh, last week for Wales, he scored for for England, for England. against the Barbadians like the year before, but yeah. it was a non-cap match. Yep. Yeah. And this is this is. Well, I think I think there needs to be an acceptance that I think you need to take nationalism out of just strip nationalism away from from rugby altogether. If you could qualify through, and maybe you you know you you just drop it back to parent, for example, rather than grandparent, just to make it a bit more simpler, and you take residents out of it for switching nations and you say it's only place of birth and parent you can you can choose in a world cup cycle who you're going to go with and then if you drop for 12 months and you give 12 months notice you can change to whoever you want and then it's up to unions whether they want to use that and it's up to players whether they what they, they'd agree with that as well, well that's I was the just thing looking at the, oh, sorry uh, i was just looking at the olympic charter rule there um that's three years uh, the Olympic Charter requires only that an athlete be a national of the country for which he or she is competing. If they want to compete for a different nation, it has to be three years after they last competed for their country of origin. Yeah. Yep. So you have to take three years off, which is essentially the same as three years residency. But, yeah. you know, you, um, but I was thinking that it would be, you know, you're thinking about guys like Stefan Armitage, um, who was obviously uh, down in France, was qualified to play for France. What? What are you making signs for, Ian? All right, I'll just tell everyone I have to go pee. I'll be back to. All right, okay, thanks. Yeah, but you're right. You're right. He'd had gang what, signs there. And he had two two caps or something for England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was he was the form uh, seven in European rugby at the time. But because he was playing in France, because of the rules England had, he wasn't getting picked. He said himself, "What? What?" I'll play for France. Yeah. I, if I could, I would play for them. And that's not him being just a mercenary. It was, you know, it's he had an offer. He was qualified to play for another country, and he felt part of that and wanted to represent them. And I, I just, I, I think we've got this idea of nationalism so messed up that we still believe it's like borders and borders and bloodshed almost, and we should yeah. all be marching with flags. It's, it's. It's a very small world out there these days. Yeah, no, and I think that's fair enough. I've got a comment from George Paul who says, says uh, my dissertation for uni is on nationalism and my current assignment is on systemic corruption. You lads are hitting close to home. I'm pleased See, that our, I'm pleased that our, the level of discourse in this podcast is hitting the standards of a dissertation for a university. It doesn't tell us what university, though. <laughs> university of life. I, <laughs> that, I know when you've seen that on people's Facebook profiles. Yeah, I, uh, education, university of life. Yeah, jo- Josh, if you get if you get a, high, a a two one or a first, then you know we we get yep. a, a, we get a proportion of whatever you earn after that. I think that's only that's fair. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, yeah, I mean the, the whole. I think in conclusion, the whole thing's entirely depressing. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I don't see anything. Oh, Josh is in Sterling. He's installing that. Okay, I will. I will allow. Good. Good job, Josh. And I'm delighted that, as Cammy says, our level of discourse has. Um, I'm glad that you're not coming on and saying my dissertation is on this, and you guys are talking absolute rot, which is good. Yeah. So that's. What did I miss? 
uh, you just missed this. We apparently that we've been talking at a university dissertation level for this entire podcast, so we're we're just giving ourselves a pat on the back for that. And we're getting honorary yeah. degrees from Sterling because yeah. of Josh. Yeah, oh, excellent. That's great. We go and see the ducks in the pond. Right? You're like, well, that's a nice <laughs> lake at Sterling. Um, I was just, I think I was just concluding. It's all it's all depressing. It's all. I don't really see anything changing. I think it's. I think we can all do our part. There's, if you listen to the interview with Dan Lee, we talks. They're going to be. Pacific Rugby Welfare are releasing a letter that you'll be able to send to your home union. Um, and we can do that so we can put pressure on the SRU to start to, to, to take that stand. I think, like, like Dan Leo says, Scotland do bet more than most when it comes to the Tier 1 nations supporting Pacific Islands, but there's no reason why we can't do more. And, and hopefully hopefully we'll see some change there. Um, I'm going to move on now. We're going to do, we're going to do uh, a quick one of these. Well, we looked high and we looked low, we seen Dougie Bapon in Speedos, but I just want to know, did you see the legend that's Dougie Donnelly? Yes, it's Where's Dougie Donnelly, and speaking of Pacific Islanders, we've got a very special uh, Where's Dougie Donnelly tonight. Um, Craig Simpson got in touch on Twitter and he said, um, I spotted Big Bill Matter at the, slight, at the Sight Hill Scotmid not a clue what he was buying, but I'm going to take a guess that it was two steak brides, a fudge donut, a bottle of iron brew, and a big bag of Haribo. <laughs> or, as we, or as we commonly know, that the Finn Russell. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think big, I don't think Bill Mata and um, Leona Nakarawa joined up with Fiji um, before the, the coronavirus outbreak. So I think probably as soon as that outbreak happened, they were told to stay where they were. Um, so they're still Miller. I saw he was out. He was on his Insta stories. Big Bill Matter was out at Sainsbury's the other day. So, um, well, he's been injured as well. He only made his comeback against Ulster, yeah. um, which went spectacularly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the um, he's a player though. I think that you know you hear when you hear about when he came to Scotland that was looked after quite well. That you know the nutritionist particularly took him shopping when he first got here to make sure that he was in good nick. Spoke to Ben Ryan, who was obviously his coach when he played sevens and. You know, just to make sure that he was, uh, you know, that he was happy and and you know coming to Scotland because it must be bloody strange moving from the Pacific Islands to kind of come and come in here, especially with the bloody weather. It's interesting. We're the f- we're the furthest away from the islands, and we're the ones that have done the body most. Well, it's Benetiga can take, I think, the greatest credit yeah. for that. Yeah, because um, yeah. he's been a settlement officer, and now he's like an official liaison. and he's been a settlement officer since he retired, and it was little. His main mandate was to look after the Southern Hemisphere guys because, um, as Dan says uh, in the interview, uh, I think it was at 2012 or 2013, like four or five Southern Hemisphere players actually killed themselves. Uh, Pacific Islander players killed themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, you know, that's, I mean, is that what you want rugby to be? A game where we just bring people over, treat them like pieces of meat, and then once they're done with them, Check him out. Yeah, it's, nah. no, no, and there's there's some nice, um, you know, some really good interviews. I mean, you go um, search for Benetiga, like some of the work he was doing early in lockdown to kind of keep keep in touch with the Pacific Island lads in in Scotland, particularly the ones that are living on their own. And when you watch the documentary, you realise how important community is to them. Um, you know, so so how much of an impact that has being on their own and being isolated, and you know, the work he was doing to try and try and help there. So that's you know. I think there is, I don't know, blow, blow our own trumpet, but we, we we are doing more than most, but we can still we can still certainly do more. Um, 
um, if you want to do, if you want to have a preview of the Ireland Scotland game, I don't. There's not much to get into because we don't know the team as we record this. Kevin Miller's done a preview on the on the blog, so go and go and have a read of that. But I, you know, I'll, I'll put you on the spot now, both of you. I mean, are we hopeful this weekend, John? Yes, we are, especially if Johnny Sexton plays. <laughs> Ian, uh, always hopeful. Um, yeah, we know how Ireland are going to play because they've not changed at all under Andy Farrell from the way they did with Joe Schmidt. Um, so, and you know, it was a hell of a game in the Six Nations. Uh, hopefully, we can just get over the line this time. Yeah. Do you think Yako will start, or do you think Duncan Weir will start? Ooh. I think Yako will start. I'm going to throw yeah. it out there. Yeah. I believe Yako will start. I said last week I thought Duncan Weir would start, so I'm totally just like, <laughs> yeah, flip flopper. It'll be That's interesting. It. He'll, he'll definitely be. He'll definitely be there or thereabouts. I would have thought so. Um, let's move on. We're going to do. Uh, we'll do this now. Yes, it's hands in the rock time. This is our any other business section of the podcast where we ask you to get in touch with things that have just generally annoyed you or things that have pleased you in the past week in the in the world of rugby we've got a few on uh social media before i come to to, to the two of you some of them might cross over um alan mcdonald long-time listener um and friend of the podcast says his hands in the ruck was the bigger official who posted on a certain rugby forum asking if the 26 abstaining clubs wanted to own up uh, when they voted for Bigger not to be promoted, he said, Bigger have a right to feel aggrieved, but that level of petulance has taken me from sympathetic to F off in one swell swoop. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we talked about this the other week, um, and we were saying, you know, and I can I can understand actually why a club would abstain, because if you're mid-table, you've no skin in the game. That's what we said last week, wasn't it? There's yeah. absolutely no, there's no reason whatsoever for them to get involved other than, you know, Almost, it's if they do get involved, there's they're setting a precedent, and we don't need to be doing that if they do if they've got nothing to gain from it. I think if the, if the if the you know the clubs that are up for promotion, the clubs that voted for relegation were voting and gone in their way, then fine. But I think there's a lot of you know you're a mid-table club. I don't think you've necessarily want to be voting for people to get relegated at you. So no, yes, no, you you want the status quo. Of course you do. Yeah. It's fine. Um, next, we've got. Um, I'm going. I'm, I'm, some people have got your, what I think is going to be yours, uh, Ian. So we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll leave that to yours. Um, we've got um, Matt Dod- Dawson's idiocy. Says Richard Gray. This was mine. Now this is just generally any anybody over the age of about fifty who's who's watched who's, who's you know kind of calls back to some bygone era that never happened. And all the ex-players, every single time this happens, it happens every year, rugby's not the same anymore. Rugby's boring, rugby's dull. We need some rules to make it more exciting. I mean, Matt Dawson and his blog suggested that um, there should be, you should limit the number of people in at the ruck and also should limit scrums. And I was like, that's rugby league. Yeah. And also somebody else I was talking to this week said he's obviously never watched any rugby in the past five years because nobody's throwing people at rucks anyway these days. Teams teams are already limiting the number of players they're committing to rucks anyway, so it doesn't really make a difference. Yeah, exactly. This is mad. And then Jeremy Guscott had his two pennies worth in the rugby paper comparing, saying, 
he was composed to Muhammad Ali and Joe Fraser and say, no, I like Muhammad Ali because he, you know, he was entertaining and he was really exciting to watch as a boxer and Joe Fraser wasn't. I was like, Muhammad Ali's most famous Oops. win was him leaning against the ropes, literally soaking up pressure and then hitting somebody on the counter. That, you know, that that's his most, his most famous win wasn't him skipping about the place, kind of throwing flowers. His most famous win was an incredibly dull encounter where he got beaten about the head and then kind of tired his opponent out, which is what the All Blacks do every week. It's the park, yeah. park the bus approach, isn't it? Yeah. It was actually Floyd Mayweather. Was that the, was the other the one. one. Yeah, I couldn't remember. I was so good, outraged. I was so outraged. Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's like, what annoys me. Is, like, yeah, I mean, like people, like, oh, the game's rubbish, blah, blah. They, they weren't saying that after the New Zealand-Australia first Bledsoe Cup game. We're talking about two weekends of, you know, maybe not the, the most exciting rugby played in honking conditions some of them and with guys who have hardly played a competitive match in months together they've not been able to train together as much so you know i think maybe just well temperance doesn't get you click so does it yeah you know (laughs) know. and the kick and then still people still going why are king teams kicking away possession it's because they're going for territory the best teams in the world have been doing it for about 20 years you don't win matches running the ball out of your own 22 <laughs> you don't win matches hitting rock after rock after rock at the halfway line you win matches by winning territory kick the ball to the opposition and say come on have a go and you win penalties and you, you know you're more likely to win a penalty in the 22 by kicking a ball to your opposite number and hoping he fluffs it and hoping you can get a turnover than, in, in their half than you are Trying to grind, trying to kind of go around the corners at the halfway line. So. Yeah, people, people, have, people are finally clicking to this, but it's and if you don't some, like it, some watch, if you don't like it, if you want to entertain rugby, go and watch rugby league. It is, I mean, on all levels, it is a more entertaining version of rugby to watch. It's a faster version of rugby to watch, but for the pu- I, you know, I, I prefer rugby union. If I was to, like, basically, I mean, I know that sounds controversial, but think about it. I, somebody comes down for space and says to you, I've heard about this sport rugby. I understand there's two versions. Which version is the more entertaining to watch? You say, go and watch a game of league. If you say to him, look, if, if, you, if you want to spend a long time, if you want to get, if you're really into your rules, mate, and you're really into kind of, <laughs> you know, lots of stoppages and lots of really technical things and kind of like a, more of a kind of game of chess, Rugby unions for you. If you want to just go and be entertained for, you know, we'll have a longer rugby league matches, 80 minutes, go and watch rugby league. The thing is, I've seen some really boring games of rugby league, and one of them, a couple of them were state of origin games, and the, the, the reason they were boring was because the, the teams were so good at defending. Like, nobody scored. I think, like, one I'd watched, I mean, this was like practice energy, I think it finished 6 4. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, good defence can be entertaining. You just have to, you know, Change, switch your expectations. Well, that's the, to the to the point. Actually, in the the most entertaining part of the Glasgow game on Sunday was there was a a, a very there was some amazing defence from Lee Jones, but there was like a moment in the second half where there was like three absolutely smashing hits in a row just as the ball gets shipped on, and it was absolutely brilliant. And, it says a lot about the rest of the game that that was the highlight. Well, well, you look at, you know, who got man in the match. You know, man, Lee Jones got man in the match against Glasgow, and Lee, that was for his defence. For his defence, yeah. Yeah. 
as a winger. Bob Harley put in an incredible tackle. Um, up on the wing, yeah. The winger, yeah. He, yeah, yeah. He looked like a try all day, but he, somehow he managed to get there. Kevin Miller tweeted about it. He's got to be yeah, different. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, thingy, Somerville. Somerville, yeah, that's a lad. Yeah. Um, Ian, what's your hands in the ruck? Um, so, we've all heard about Pablo Matera. Um, and my hands in the ruck is people who are defending him. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, we're going to get called overly woke here. So, I'm just going to caveat this for sort of thing. <laughs> um, I have said some absolutely loathsome things in my time sexism, racism, sectarian, whatever. I've said them, and it was, you know, it was years ago, um, and you know, it's a lot of the time. I've, it's never been in anger. A lot of the time, it was just like group. You can call it a toxic masculinity. This group of mates, you know, when you're just trying to outdo each other in terms of who can be more offensive. Um, but I would never put them in public sphere <laughs> uh, because it's not something that I believe. Um, now you can go on about how young Matera was and it was X years ago but the fact of the matter is it was it's over an extended period of time it's not just like one instance I think there's five of them and it's covers classism racism and sexism now if you are a high profile person and you think oh my god I remember when I said some shocking things I should probably go back and delete that you know you go and do it People defended him saying it was years ago. It doesn't matter, right? It was still out there. He's said these abhorrent things repeatedly. And now he has to suffer the consequences. He's apologised, which is good. I'm all for giving him a second chance. You know, I, I believe in rehabilitation. You know, people can... You've seen people who've been in prison and been junkies and what have you, and now they've got degrees and, and things like that. You know, I, I fully believe that people can change and become better people but you have to suffer some kind of consequence for your actions. Somebody said he'd been sacked. I was like, he got dropped from the captaincy. That's not being sacked. Do you want to be, you know, being sacked yeah. is being told to clear out your desk and leave the office. Do you know what I mean? That's well, not being... S- seemingly, um, he's stepping down. Um, I, I think it was rugby dump. I didn't read the whole article. I don't, and it may, I think it's just rumours. Um, but, you know, as long as he, you know, he serves his time or whatever... And if he then becomes like a sort of figurehead for good, if he's, you know, if now that he's got this high profile, if he can be like head of an anti racism campaign or whatever, that's good. That will encourage people who look up to kids who look up to him yeah. not to be the pair, make the same mistakes that he did. Yeah. There was a really interesting thread on, and I really appreciate this because I kind of made the same point as you, Ian, and a few people came back and said, oh, it's all part of a bigger conspiracy in Argentina because for anybody that didn't see it, the, the All Blacks. Uh, placed a number 10 shirt, all black shirt. Some people are saying, why was it an all black shirt? But it's like, I know what it's like trying to get stuff ordered in Australia. It's impossible <laughs> to get stuff. There's no way you get an Argentinian football kit posted to you in that many, you know, with that turnaround. So they've they've got a number 10 all black shirt and they've put on the halfway line before the hacker, obviously in tribute to Diego Maradona. And the... I think the reaction in Argentina has been one of disgust with the Argentinians said that they didn't do their own tribute and that when that shirt was placed down that no nobody went and collected it nobody responded to that tribute from the All Blacks and I hadn't really realized this when somebody else was explaining that the um Argent rugby in Argentina a little bit like it is in in England and and, and Edinburgh to an extent is an upper class sport so all these players the Pablo Montero all these guys that play rugby in Argentina are all public schoolboys effectively and they all 
you know, can do what they want and get away with what they want. There's instances of rugby players beating up, you know, people in the streets and being able to kind of get away with that. So it's, you know, that th- there is a class issue there that, you know, Diego Maradona was this working class hero and he has been respect- disrespected by by the upper classes. Now, that, that may well be the reason why somebody has thought, do you know, I'm going to have a dig about this guy's <laughs> tweets. It might just be that, all of a sudden, he Pablo Montero is is in the public eye because of the last couple of weeks he's played particularly well. There's been a couple of you know memeable things he's done on the rugby pitch, and where he's pointing to his chest and saying that's not respect, and I, I resent my country. Just somebody's gone back through his Twitter, and like you see, in saying there's no excuse for it to be there, regardless of why someone has decided to go off and and troll for it. That might be because they don't think he showed Maradona the particular level of respect. Doesn't matter. He still said those things, and you can conspiracy all you want. It doesn't matter. It doesn't detract from that. People saying we should be asking questions about why somebody's decided to do it. It doesn't matter. He said it. Yeah. It's out there. That's that's the headline story. We shouldn't worry about the classism issue within Argentina. That doesn't doesn't kind of touch the surface. You should be asking questions as well of, you know, I think we're all of an age where we were young and probably, as Ian rightly says, said stupid stuff when social media didn't exist. And there's highly trained professionals who brand manage all of this behind the scenes. And there's almost a question to be asked as to why this, you know, we're saying, why hasn't that been deleted by him? Why hasn't that been deleted by a social media manager? Why hasn't someone, as soon as he's representing Argentina, went, do you know what, logins, please, let's have a wee scour and just make sure. Because it happens in other countries, yeah. you know. And, and you know, everybody jumped on saying, oh, well, someone's obviously left that there, playing the long game so they can catch him out. It's like, no, somebody's How just been incompetent. That's it. Incom- yeah, you know, someone's that's not, that's they've that's not had a proper social media manager in place to say you might want to pull that. A bit like but that that's time. that's not to defend him. A bit like that time that Ali Price had to delete a tweet laughing at um, Simon Zebo calling. Um, or did he like the tweet where Simon Zebo called Finn Russell white chocolate? That's right. Yeah, in, yeah, uh, yeah. After Finn Russell left camp. And obviously someone had a word and told Ali Price <laughs> to, to, to not like that tweet. <laughs> you know, but yeah, it's. I think it's depressing the fact you know people will say you know somebody said to me there are bigger issues here here at play and I don't think there's really bigger issues than than homophobia and racism. Hard to think of any. Certainly not kind of internal class struggles within Argentina. I probably I would I would put that at you know if we're ranking things I would put that at less than homophobia and racism. And ultimately, he is the captain of his country. Yeah. He is a representative of his country. So come yeah. on. In, in his own words, that is not respect. Correct. There you go. John, what's, have you got hands in the rock this week? Uh, do you know what? I, I have. I've done my classic thing of, as we've been talking, I've come up with one because that's <laughs> what we do. We, don't, we do not prepare. We, off the uh, cuff. Off the cuff. Fail to prepare, prepare to fail, as they say. Um, so I, I was going to talk originally about um, why, and this is one of Ian's favourites, but it's been really evident over the last couple of weeks, actually, that Pete Horn, who is starting for Glasgow at 10, Glasgow look infinitely better as soon as Brandon Thompson comes on at 10. Like, infinitely better. And Brandon Thompson is not my favourite rugby player in the world. That's 
I think, been documented on here a few times. Um, I may have suggested he possibly had the worst game of rugby in the history of rugby one time. But, um, yeah, Glasgow have been so much better when Thompson's come on. But actually, the thing that stood out most for me was there was a there was a break in play during the first half of the Glasgow game on Sunday. And there was more medics and water boys on the park than there was players. It was outrageous how many, like, people. There was, like, I think there was, like, seven or eight people down getting bandaged up. There was water bottles. There was um, other people running about. It was insane. And I was, I was just thinking, like, why there's almost an argument why I know we've got to allow players to get patched up and that's fine I'm all for that you know player welfare completely but a lot of this does seem like we've had to run about for more than six minutes so I really really need to lie down and we've you know forwards have done it throughout the ages they'll take a knee a lot of it seemed like that and I don't know if it's becoming more of a problem it just it struck me as quite strange I think the thing you see, and you'll see it with Scotland, is you know Mike Blair is is a water boy, and he's got yep. the earpiece in, and he's communicating to the team. And I think yep. there's a lot, there is a lot of that goes on in rugby. I, I do wonder whether or not there's an argument to say, you know, medics are allowed earpieces because they've got to communicate, but nobody else going and giving water is allowed earpieces. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, because I think pro- that because I I wonder how much of it's that. I wonder how much of it is get instructions to the players on the pitch. Rather than it being, and and if you cut that out, if you if you restrict the, you say it's only player, you know, only only subs can go on and bring the water. You'd so still find a way like, to bring, yeah, you'd still find a reason to bring way of getting messages on, hide it in the water or something, or in, in your shorts or to yeah. whatever. But it 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 would, it, it would make it less attractive to do that, I guess. And I think you're getting to the stage now where you're seeing. As I say, I mean, I'm, I'm exaggerating for, you know, before we get letters, I'm exaggerating for the benefit of entertainment, but there was almost as many extra staff as there was players in the park. And you're almost at the stage now where there's like an individual coach for each player going on and I'll bring your water bottle. And by the way, the big dog upstairs was giving me a message for you. This is your individual coaching. Yeah. Um, it's, it's strange. Um but just on, uh, if I could just do one more wee note, just on. on the, uh, I actually want to do a positive. Um, I want to pass on some congratulations. So I noticed New- Newcastle uh, Falcons. Um, I was watching um, the game they were playing recently, and I noticed the wee, um, they are trialling the concussion tests uh, uh, that are worn on the neck. It's a small white patch that's worn on the neck, and it's to diagnose concussion uh, quickly. And they're doing one of the they're one of the clubs that are trialling that. So um, looked a bit strange. It was one one of those moments, but um, obviously couldn't be you know a very important thing. Yeah. Uh, and if it if it improves welfare even a tenth of a percentage, then it's the right thing to do. So well done. Yeah. Can we send some of them to Arsenal? Sorry. Can we send some <laughs> yeah, of them to I, Arsenal? Uh, I I think that there was probably other situations where I would suggest concussion might have been easily diagnosed 
and it wouldn't have required a fast acting test to diagnose. The fact that he had blood pouring through the bandage that was put on him was probably a giveaway. Yeah. And if you've been in a collision which fractures another man's skull. Yes, yes. That that would tend to suggest you may want to go and get your head checked. But yeah. he has worn his hair like that for some time, so there is you know there Anyway, is this is a this is a rugby podcast. Not a football podcast. This is not football, Gary. Who are we talking about? Is this a rugby game? I thought you said Arsenal. Yeah. I know. We're we're talking about concussion in sport. It's Ah, uh, a pan-sport Well, there we go. This is where rugby can can put their hand up and go, we're better than football. We are. There you go. Everybody can enjoy that. The one interesting thing about the concussion test is whether or not it adds an element of of independence as opposed to the assessments that that you know we we see <coughs> France, you know, yeah. and and even you know to a certain extent the way that some of the Lions players were handled in the last tour, you know, like Dan Bigger didn't have a full ten minutes out for his test when Finn Russell was on. You know, there's all sorts of stuff goes on, and whether or not these tests then mean there's an independent verification. You've got a an official or someone on the sideline who says, you know, that the concussion test showing that he's got a possible concussion. You need to take him off. It's absolute madness that it's not independent. Back to we've gone full circle here. Yeah. Back to the start, but it's mental that it's not independent. It should be independent. Yeah. And on that note, I think we've rambled on for long enough, especially when you've got what that together. That's two and a half hours of podcast this week. I can't say. Giving them them exactly. Yeah. yeah. Get your three pounds. Hand them over. Yeah. So you can, if you want more of this, you can sign up for our Patreon for three pound a month. patreoncom slash podcast. Um, a, we've had a few £5 patrons this, I forgot to say uh, we've had two £5 patrons and I'm getting to the end of the podcast but I might as well give them a, give them a shout give out them now, a shout now. So, um, thank you very much to Gavin Brocky who's a £5 patron and uh, Richard Sylvester who's, who's coming with six euros so guys I don't know what the current exchange rate is at the minute with Brexit coming up I'm going to assume that's around a fiver it's definitely not that. £3 pound. Two, two, £2.10 probably yeah it's about 50 <laughs> Um, that not happened last week as well, and it was like five pound forty. Yeah. Uh, it was five pound forty last time somebody paid six euros because I, I looked up. Yes, yeah. and we'll, we'll see. Th- mind and put them on starting next week as well because they probably got bored. I know. I'll, I'll tell. What's what so my sister commenting? So Jonah, Jonah Leon says, "This is, is this your sister, John? This is my sister. She yeah, says, hi, if Jody. You, if you thank your mum for picking you up from school after a bad hit, you know you have a concussion." <laughs> Is, this, is there a story suggest- here, John? I, I, I mean, I don't remember it if there is, so probably. Hi, you did have concussion. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might have done, actually. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, uh, we, we, you know, family members are welcome to, to join in with the chat. You know, we're, we're happy for, for anybody. But I, I've, I've got the comms, as they say. Or the con, is it? I've got the con. Is that what they say in Star Trek? I can stick I'm out. I'm on the con. So, yeah, so that's it for this week. Uh, we'll, I will mention those guys again. Um, she says, uh, John, she says, have put one out. Hello, says, hi. Says, hi. Hi, John. <laughs> um, so, yes, thank you very much, um, everybody, for listening in and bearing with us this week. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast. We'll be back next week to cover the Ireland game. Um, we've got uh, Scotland's hardest player. We'll, we'll, we will do that this month. Don't worry. It's December now. We're going to do Scotland's hardest player. We've had a couple of last-minute entries, so it was worth holding off because these are crackers. Yeah. The, the last couple of entries we've had so we're really looking forward to doing that um, so if you're on the Patreon page watch I'm going to try and get the poll up this weekend 
Uh, so you can you can have a wee vote for um for, for some of the players there. Um don't forget to check out the blog, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Sign up, do some reviews for us on Apple. That would be greatly appreciated if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts. But for the moment, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from John and Ian. Cheerio.